Majanatimanandasya Janajana Salakaya Chakshur Militanyena Tasma Shri Guru Venamha Vajkaptu Vishcha Kripasin Vivacha Patitanam Pamanebyo Vaishnavijanamonamaha So good evening. Welcome to another evening of Sri Vishwanath Chakavardi Thakur's Madhurya Kadamani. We are rounding the halfway point of the third cloud bank wherein we're dealing with those offenses that are more serious, specifically those offenses dealing with uh, the Namaparads. The third offense gives us some real insight into the necessity to have some philosophical grounding in uh, the tattva of our sampradaya. And we, when we talk about this philosophically, philosophical grounding, we're talking about having an openness when confronted with items of the philosophy to hear from authority. That openness in and of itself is sufficient. It's not a matter of an intellectual grounding. and in, It's not an intellectual exercise that's going to lead to an understanding. It's a matter of uh, saranagati. It's a matter of surrender. When confronted with a presentation from the spiritual master of the tattva, then we need to have a receptive ear. And that will serve us well in our advancement. He may say things that are way above our head. We may not understand anything he is saying. But having an open heart, having an open ear, having having that sense of, of pouring the nectar that's coming from his lips into our ear and, and letting it come into into our heart and soften our heart, that in and of itself is sufficient. We don't need to have a huge intellect to benefit from submissive hearing. One thing I was thinking about in this regard is willful neglect. Being willfully neglectful is is something that uh, can be a real impediment to us. Naturally, our, our conditioning is, is one of, for material nature, is coming that uh, we have this tendency to cheat. It's, uh, it's there. We have imperfect senses. We, imperfect senses leads to illusion and this tendency to cheat, to accept as truth what's really illusion because it's in our best interest to do so, based on our illusions, based on our tendency to cheat, based on our misinformation. We, we make mistakes. Unfortunately, we get in trouble for it. <laughs> uh, karma catches up to us on the material level. So these are four defects, four material defects. So, this third offense 
not understanding the significance of of Krishna's position and the position of his various shaktis, his energies, uh, the distinction between Shiva and Vishnu, uh, Brahma, uh, the consciousness that is Aswarya, a controller, the Lord himself and his various manifestations and the Jivatma, uh, the depth of the consciousness, the position of the living entity in relationship with the Lord. Uh, these things are there, and it's uh, it's a rather complex subject at times. Even Shiva, Shiva, you do, you look at, at Shiva, and it's like, well, is he a god? Is he isn't a god? He's, he's, he's Vishnu Tattva, but then he allows himself to, to fall under the influence of Maya, but he's still a controller, uh, how does that happen? And, you know, it, it can be bewildering. And we may not fully understand it for some time. Uh, and you'll notice this, that in your practice, uh, you may read a, a section of Shastra, you may read uh, something presented by your spiritual master in his books, or the other Acharyas you may read, and based on what you read, you come to a conclusion. You think you got it. Oh, okay, I know, what, I know what's going on here. I know what's, what's being conveyed. And then uh, you come back a decade later and you read the same thing. And it's, it's an, it has an entirely different meaning to you. You have a deeper understanding. You have a deeper... You have made spiritual advancement in that time through your chanting and your hearing and your associating and the service you've done and the, the material anarthas uh, that have fallen away, you're a different person. You're miles different. Uh, and you can't put a... There's no real comparison when it comes to the way we advance in spiritual life to anything in material life. It's uh, it's it's a dynamic. It's it's a living. We're 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 progressing and uh, and we're living our spiritual life that that has a dynamic effect on us. So we read or we go to a class. I mean, I can tell you quite honestly, when I first went and heard my spiritual master, I didn't understand a word he said. It was just a jumble of syllables to me. Once in a while, I'd hear a Krishna. Once in a while I'd hear Maya or a, a matter or, you know, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of syllables like, well, it's, but boy, he has a nice smile and he sure seems to be happy, you know, so it has to be something good going on here, is what I thought, you know. Uh, it was a different time, a different culture. We may have had a lot more fog in our head at that time. Um uh, uh, culturally, individually also. But the significance was I, I was willing to hear. And as time went on, I could start to understand a couple words. Actually, I, there's a sentence. Well, a whole sentence. I understand a whole sentence. Then a bunch of jumble of syllables from another world. But 
there was no reluctance. There was no, I wasn't trying to neglect that hearing. I knew that that hearing was important even if there was no understanding. So understanding is not absolutely necessary to make spiritual advancement. But hearing submissively, that is absolutely necessary. As I said, sometimes you'll read and then you'll come back a few years later and it's entirely, the, what you got out of it is entirely different. Even uh, Guru Maharaj said something to me. Uh, he was talking about preparing for classes and, you know, I was saying, you know, uh, talking about reading some different things. And actually, we were talking about a, a book that I'd, I'd felt was extremely helpful to me uh, some years back. And he said, yeah, well, I understand what you're saying. He said, I think if you went back and read that now, you'd have a completely different, <laughs> un completely different viewpoint. And I said, you're probably right. But I have more important things to read. So this third offense, equating the Lord's holy name with that of other material deities, demigods, uh, not knowing that there, there's a distinction there, the result is not going to be the same uh, when you chant uh, Shiva's name or Ganesha's name. So that's an offense to the holy name to think that they're the same. But it's also an offense, the same offense, to not understand that Lord Shiva is Ishvara. He's, he's, uh, his, he is a controller. But he's not the supreme controller. But he's not on the same level we are. He's special. He has a special position. And I think that's why his name comes up in the offense, is it, it, it takes us into, it's a, it's a passageway of understanding what are the Lord's various tattvas, what are his manifestations. So we read a verse before, and we're going to kind of start there. Uh, this evening, I want to I want to complete uh, this third offense. Uh, go to the fourth, which is uh, a nullification of the scriptures and scriptures in uh, in in pursuit of the Vedic uh, ideal. And then, as I said at the end of last the last class, Vishwanath leaves it at that. Here's these four. I've analyzed these in detail for you. Apply the same logic to the other six offenses and you should be able to carefully avoid non-operat. And that's a big thing. It's a huge thing in our practice. To avoid nam aparad is wow. I mean, you're talking really getting to a to a stage of, of steadiness in your practice very quickly if you can just avoid these things. And most of them, most of these offenses to the Lord's holy name 
revolve around understanding things properly. There's offending the devotees. Six ways to offend the devotees. We can offend them. Well, you could kill one. That'd be one way. <laughs> uh, you can be angry. You can be hateful. You can neglect them. You cannot receive them nicely. You know, these different ways. Uh, that's a difficult thing, especially from a, coming from our material background. So we have uh, offending the devotees, offending the spiritual master, sometimes misunderstood, neglecting the order of the spiritual master, but deeply understanding the order of the spiritual master has to be there, too. It can't be just a superficial, well, the spiritual master says, if I do this, then, I, I, then I've made it. It's over, I've done it. I'm covered. I will. I'm. It's well. We we come from a uh, a Christian background, and we think, well, if I avoid these cardinal sins, I'm going to heaven. But following the order of the spiritual master means that we follow the order of the spiritual master, and we follow the directives that he may not even have given that are there in the in the in the whole teaching of our sampradaya that we understand it we understand what we are supposed to do in the context of the objective of purifying ourselves that's why this particular book madhurya kadambini and bhakti rasamrita sindhu and the verse from bhakti rasamrita sindhu that it's based upon and the correlation between the sixastikam that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gave, that correlation between that and uh, the correlation between uh, the sexosticum and the and the and the steps of advancing devotional practice is so very very important. I can tell you quite frankly that, and it, and for those that have full and absolute faith, it may be fully applicable because we have the story of the South Indian Brahmin who just his spiritual master said. Uh, you just read Bhagavad Gita every day, and he did it, and he was fully successful, even though illiterate, he or could or he couldn't pronounce everything properly. He was successful in his understanding and his in, in his following of the order of the spiritual master. And my spiritual master, he said, if you just chant this Hare Krishna and you follow these four regular principles, that'll care that that's. That's your requirement. And many of my my God brothers fully, they say that's it. But you also have to read the books, and in the books it says to learn the philosophy. And deeper in the books it says to read the books of the other acharyas in the line. So 
if you really dive deeply into his instruction, follow the instruction of the spiritual master, it's it's a lot there's a lot more there than what you may see at face value. I don't know how I got there, but uh, uh, back to, back to what uh, what we're really what we're really about here is is seeing that significance of of what Vishwanath is giving us. What is the practice? It's not just a it's not a superficial thing. It's a very scientific method of advancing. Step by step, uh, krama, chronologically, uh, through through progressive devotional service, and this stage of uh, unsteady practice, and specifically these operads to the holy name. If there's any way we can, we can get these under control. Our chanting is going to become very clear very quickly, and and the stage of nista is is easily within reach, and of course, this offending the Vaishnavs that's that's very crucial. But the other offenses, and of course, the order of the spiritual master. That's how we got there. The order of the spiritual master. What does it mean? It's very deep. It's very. It's not a superficial thing. It it means to really. It's deeper than what it may seem at face value. Just chant Hare Krishna. Okay. That's the word of the spiritual master. Just chant Hare Krishna. But there's more to it. You have to understand how to chant. You have to chant Hare Krishna in such a way that you can never st- not stop chanting. So when the 16 rounds are done, you're still like, well, well I'm just getting started. It's, I'm just, you know, can you imagine reading, reaching that stage where it's not like I'm counting anymore? I'm just, I'm completely enthused. I can't quit chanting. That's what it means to chant Hare Krishna. Chanting Hare Krishna means I can chant until I can't quit chanting. And these other offenses, these other offenses, for the most part, a lot of them are simply a matter of properly understanding things. The third offense, as I said, we're taken into the whole world of of the of the nature of the of consciousness, the nature of being. What is God's nature? What is his position? What is our nature? What's the external energy? What's the living force? What's the living force in eternity? And as I said, we're taken in through in that into that deep understanding through this explanation of Lord Shiva. So a couple more uh, statements by Vishwanath. Uh, that we hadn't covered in detail. Uh, again related to this third offense. Uh, 
Srimad Bhagavatam says, Smoke is superior to wood, a transformation of the earth. Fire, the base of sacrifices prescribed in the Vedas, is superior to smoke. Similarly, Rajagun is superior to Tamagun. Okay. And Sattvagun is superior to Rajagun. One can realize Brahman by Sattvagun. This this verse establishes the superior, superiority of Rajagun over Tamagun. However, the realization of the Lord representing pure effulgence is not possible in Rajagun, which is being compared here to smoke. Representing pure effulgence, the Lord can be realized by Sattvagun, which is like a burning fire. In Tamagun, which is compared to wood, one gets a subtle realization of the Lord. As in the state of Susupti, sound sleep, an effect of Tamagun, one gets the same bliss as if in the realization of Nirbeda Gyan, knowledge of the oneness of Jiva and non-personal Brahman. One should ascertain this truth by considering the facts in this way. Uh, it's an interesting, uh, one interesting thing, thing is brought out in the explanation of this verse. The, we look at the analogy being given, uh, wood, smoke, fire, compared to the, to the gunas, wood being uh, the mode of uh, ignorance, tamagun, uh, the smoke being uh, compared to rajagun, passion, and the fire itself, sattvagun, the mode of goodness. And we note that Lord Shiva is in charge of the mode of ignorance, tamagun, Brahma, passion, and Vishnu himself, the mode of goodness. But what's brought out is the significance of the wood. From the wood you can make a fire. The wood, the 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 element of fire is contained within the wood. You can't start a fire from smoke. There's no ingredient cause there. It's a, it's a very subtle point that's being made, but the point is, if you look at the analogy, it gives you some indication in a unique way of the significance of Lord Shiva as being superior to Lord Brahma. Because if we look at the analogy, without Shiva there's no fire. Shiva is the ingredient cause. He's taken that, that position. Uh, then uh, there's a verse quoted from the 11th canto. Krishna is speaking to Uddhava there. O Uddhava, knowledge of non-personal Brahman is sattvic. That concerned with the body is rajasic. And that concerned with transient matter is tamasic. 
but the knowledge concerned with me is near Guna. So the superiority of uh, Krishna's position is, is established. Vishwanath goes on. Dependent Chaitanya. We read this verse. I'm just going to go over it one more time because it's, it's exciting. Dependent Chaitanya or Jiva Chaitanya is of two types. Okay, remember? One is covered by ignorance. All those, raise your hand. And the other is uncovered. Covered Jiva Shaitanya, the Jiva soul, the conscious Jiva, Jiva soul, are demigods, human beings, animals, and so on. I won't say any more on that. I've already been at that all day today. <clears throat> Uncovered Jiva Chaitanya is of two types. All right, so we're talking about those that are not under the influence of the modes of material nature, that are still jiva, conscious jivas. So those that are covered are within material bodies. Coming from four sources. No, I won't go there. Um, uncovered jiva shaitanyas of two types. Not empowered by the Lord's Aishvarya Shakti, all right, so these are these are these are jiva souls that are not under the influence of the Lord's external potency. Some of them have his internal potency in some form or another, Ashvarya Shakti, and and they're empowered by it. Jiva Shaitanya, not empowered by the Ashvarya Shakti, uh, is generally of two types. One merged into Isvara by practicing jnana and the other not merged in asvara by practicing bhakti. Alright, so jivas under the modes of material nature. Jivas not under the modes of material nature. Two types. One type has the Lord Shakti to accommodate something, to accomplish something. And the other falls into two categories. Either they're striving for or attained Brahman, or they are trying for bhakti. Practicing bhakti is the way it's translated here. Try to understand what's being said. The bhaktas and the jnanis don't fall into the same category as those jivas who are under the influence of the modes of material nature. Interesting point. Just by the fact that they've, they're coming to the plane of aspiring to either Brahman or Bhakti takes them out of, the, out of that category of conditioned living entities. The first state is miserable. Talking about the Gyanis. Vishwanath is not very keen on Gyanis. Brahman realization doesn't interest him. He calls them miserable. There's other, some other derogatory statements he's used so far. If we look back. While those in the second relish the sweetness of the Lord. 
and it is thus not miserable. Empowered Jiva Chaitanya is of two types. One empowered by spiritual knowledge. Now we're talking about the other class. Right? These are those that are not under the influence of the modes. They're either Ashwarya or they're striving for either Gyan, Brahman realization is the way, impersonal Brahman realization, or they're striving for Bhakti. Now when we let's look now he, we're going back and we're saying, now what about those that have the Lord Shakti that are not under the modes, those others? Ashwarya. Uh, one empowered by spiritual knowledge and the other empowered by his energy related to material creation. To the former belong those such as the four Kumars, and to the latter belong Brahma and others. So a little bit of uh, Jiva Tattva there. Uh, there's no stones. <clears throat> mentioned here spoons spoons Spoons. I didn't don't see any spoons I don't see even atoms uh, <laughs> written here I might be missing it's just one book I know I could be missing something um Continuing, Vishwanath goes on and says, Due to the similarity of Chaitanya, what is it? Chaitanya means consciousness. Vishnu and Shiva are non-different. What's the same about them? They're both Iswara. Non-different. So what's Vishwanath saying? They're non-different. Devotees desiring nothing other than the Lord must discriminate between them, between Vishnu and Shiva, as worshipable and non-worshipable, on the basis of nirguna and saguna character. So we determine who to worship based on whether what they're in contact with. So we're worshiping the manifestation of controlling consciousness which is not touched by the modes of material nature. That's, the, that's where we put our... We're Vaishnavs. So we're worshipping that consciousness not touched by matter that falls into the Vishnu category. Actually, we worship Radha, but that's another thing. Due to non-similarity of Shaitanya, Vishnu and Brahma are different. What's the difference? Brahma is Jiva Shaitanya, Vishnu is Ishvara Shaitanya. Some Puranas describe the non-difference of Vishnu and Brahma. This non-difference may be considered like that of the sun and the Suyakanti Mani. 
Surya, I'm sorry, Surya Kanti Mani, the stone empowered by the sunlight. So you have the sun and you have a gem. And you put the gem in a dark room and this beam of light hits it and it looks like the sun. But it has no power to illuminate in and of itself, does it? Take away that beam of light and it gives no light. That's the point being made. So, simple simple point. Without the power of the light of the sun, this gem has no power in and of itself. Without the power of the supreme, the jiva has who in this case is Brahma, who can create his own universe without Krishna's power, none of that can be accomplished. The stone empowered by this. In some Mahakalpas, even Shiva, just like Brahma, may be a Jiva who is empowered by the Lord. Once in a while, even Shiva can be a Jiva. It's pretty rare. Once in a while, even Brahma can be Vishnu. No, there's no Brahma qualified. And that's very rare. Shastra says sometimes a jiva is also empowered as Shiva or Brahma. Shastra also says one who considers Lord Narayan, the supreme among demigods, as equal to Brahma, Rudra, and other demigods is certainly an atheist. So not getting this this tattva down can really mess up your spiritual life. So we need to understand this. This Shastric evidence will be considered proper when Shiva and Brahma are both in the category of eminent Jivas. That makes sense to everybody? This Shastric evidence will be considered proper when Shiva and Brahma are both in the category of eminent Jivas. It seems as though every sentence further complicates. (laughs) (laughs) I think what they're saying, I think what's being said is that you would consider the supreme among demigods as equal to Brahma, Rudra, and other demigods is certainly an atheist. One who considers Narayan to be a demigod, this sastric evidence will be considered proper when Shiva and Brahma are both in the category of eminent jivas. I have a feeling that could be translated and put into a much better cohesive presentation than than this edition. That's just my thoughts on the matter. But I think we get the point. What does eminent mean? Uh, 
uh, preeminent means most eminent. Most eminent means high, Top. highly situated. Yeah. Topmost. Sastric evidence will be considered proper when Shiva and Brahma are both in the category of eminent zero, jivas. All right. Vishwanath continues. Those who have not discussed these truths say Vishnu is the only Lord, not Shiva. Shiva, then it goes on to say Shiva is the only Lord, not Vishnu. We are the sole devotees of Vishnu and we will not see Shiva. We are the sole devotees of Shiva and will not see Vishnu. Their minds thus absorbed in arguments, they commit offense. If in time such offense, offenders get the association of sadhus, expert in discussing all these truths, and are enlightened by them, then they can realize the non-difference of Shiva and the Lord. Then by doing Namkirtan, their apparatus is nullified. One sentence I highlighted in the commentary, which, which puts everything in a, in a very nice perspective. The main cause of committing offense to the Lord is lack of knowledge of his natural form, swarup. So all this is relative to that. Uh, uh, misunder these misunderstandings are not pleasing. And that's exactly what it means when we say aparad. This, apa, and rada, pleasing. So that concludes Vishwanath's presentation on the third Nam Aparad. Uh, few verses dealing with it. Core, what I walked away with, I don't know what you did, but core is understanding that all of the Supreme Lord's manifestations need to be seen in proper perspective according to their relationship with the Supreme. The Jivas, the empowered Jivas, Shiva, who's a very special class, but he gives us entrance into a deep understanding of the way the Lord uses his Shaktis and how his devotees relate to him. Um, so it's... Uh, it's, in my estimation, a, a, an entry for us into understanding the significance of hearing, as I said, this, this, these topics of tattva, when presented with them, and hearing them submissively, and trying to grasp them intellectually according to our capacity. We may not be able to fully grasp everything about Shiva or everything about we hear about the Lord and the Lord's energies and 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 Shrimati Radharani and the uh, 
the, those living entities in, in Krishna's spiritual realm that are not even in the category of jiva tattva, but are there as his eternal associates, uh, uh, expansions of uh, Srimati Radharani and her energy, her pleasing energy, Ladini Shakti. So, uh, deep, deep things, trying to understand all of the. Krishna's kind of like a big thing. He's got a lot of different energies, and, and uh, the majority of these energies are manifest in the spiritual realm, and they're conscious. In this material realm, the jiva is conscious and the paramatma is spread throughout. Um, and understanding what is actually a conscious jiva entity and, and what is a manifestation of paramatma's energy throughout the material uh, manifestation. Uh, kind, of, uh, kind of important to see these things in proper perspective and hear from authorities and be willing to accept what is authoritative knowledge in this regard. Quite helpful. It can keep us out of trouble, or it can get us in trouble, depending on how we approach it. <clears throat> Going on to the fourth offense. Fourth offense means that we vilify. We uh, make villainous. Um, the, sh the Shrutis and the other literatures, Smritis, Puranas, that, that are based on the basic spiritual truths uh, coming uh, from the Vedas. Vishwanath continues, One may think, these Shrutis do not mention anything about Bhakti, and they are glorified only by worldly-minded persons. They are thus mundane and condemned. Someone may thus offend the Shrutis related to Gyan and Karma. If such an offender repeatedly glorifies these Shrutis and their practitioners with the same mouth that criticized them and does Nam Sankirtan loudly, then he can be rescued from the fourth Nam Aparad of blaspheming Shruti and other Shastra. By good fortune, if such an offender is enlightened by the Sadhus, expert in the knowledge of the Shrutis, he can become free from the offense. He comes to understand that the most merciful Shrutis are trying to inspire persons unrestrained, completely blinded by material enjoyment, and unqualified for practicing bhakti to follow the scriptural injunctions. One should thus understand the cause and nullification of the other six nam aparads in this same light. A couple things bear uh, discussion in this regard. This is kind of hard for us. Because we're in the wake of this magnificent Sankirtan movement of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And his Sankirtan movement is unrestricted in its merciful benediction to suffering humanity. 
the Sankirtan movement picks up the can pick up the most unqualified and give them the greatest benediction. There's no need for any prior uh, spiritual position or uh, accumulated uh, uh, piety in order to in order to practice Krishna consciousness in Kali Yuga under the direction under the under the shelter of Lord Chaitanya's Sankirtan movement. So, in consideration of the uniqueness of this Kali Yuga and the uniqueness of Sri Chaitanya's charitable distribution to everyone. Uh, A deep understanding of this particular operat has has to be has to be in place. In other words, we need to understand it philosophically, but know that Lord Chaitanya's mercy is without bounds. So the application that, that might be there traditionally in the Veda. Uh, can be mercifully overlooked in spreading Lord Chaitanya's movement. There are no hard and fast rules. It's not that sudras in Kali Yuga cannot rise up immediately and become Krishna's devotees. But still, in spite of that, we notice even in Lord Chaitanya's time, the social etiquette of the day was followed by the Vaishnav community. Hari Das did not try to go in the temple. Was he qualified? Well, you tell me. Krishna went to him every day and took darshan. <laughs> so, what's that tell you about the fact that those that were following the social conventions and would not allow allow a quote quote malecha. Uh, what was the caste? Muslim to come into the temple. They just didn't understand the deeper significance of of Hari Nam Sankirtan, Hari Nam of. Uh, Golokare, Premadan, Harinam Sankirtan. This is descending directly from Goloka. Everybody is benefiting to the highest degree. But still, these etiquettes were followed. So that's what this is basically speaking about. This fourth, this fourth uh, operat. And it's kind of hard considering the merciful dispensation that's been granted to us for the most part being born in the in a western world to the families of meat eaters and what you know would be socially the the lowest class in vedic society and here we are you know chanting mantras of the highest nature uh 
without being born in the Brahmin family or even a, a Vaishya family, Kshatriya family, you know. Yeah, we notice in Indian culture when it comes to the Vaishnavas, they have even tried to 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 say, well, if you're not if you're not born in an Indian body in a Brahmin family, uh, you're not really a Vaishnav. You're a you know you're like a semblance. You're a, you're a shadow of a Vaishnav. That's not our understanding. That's not Lord Chaitanya's understanding, and we can verify that by by what the Goswamis have presented. And especially what's come down to us through Krishna Das and Chaitanya Charitamrita, the nature of this uh, this implementation of the Sankirtan movement. It is truly without any fixed Vedic rules and standards. This verse talks about the standards, understanding that we do not vilify the fact that the, that there is according to the Shrutis particular class of people that are not yet qualified to practice bhakti under normal circumstances. They still have so much material desire, or they they either want liberation, gyan, impersonal liberation, or they want they want to enjoy in the heavenly planets. And the Shruti set up guidelines for them. Do like this. You worship this demigod, you get this result, you worship like this, you conduct yourself in a very pious way throughout your life, you go to the heavenly planets. You study this Sankhya philosophy and you understand what is matter and what is spirit and you can advance yourself to the platform of detachment required to realize your spiritual nature, that you are Brahman. You are one with it all. So devotees, we don't, we don't criticize those aspects of the scriptures that deal with that. We can't criticize it. It's there. It's, these scriptures are there for the upliftment of humanity at large. But as I said, we're kind of in a very unique position in looking at this kind of, a, of an operad to the holy name. Uh, because of the, of, the, of the merciful dispensation of bhakti. And you know, you the the uh, for the the Vaishnavas are 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 pretty pretty hard on on the impersonalists, <laughs> and they're pretty hard on the on the on the karmis. This is not this is not something that we that you should look at seriously. But on the other hand, if it's coming to us, if the directors are coming in shastra. Uh, regarding uh, advancement it's part of the Veda we do not criticize the Veda for giving these opportunities to advance in their respective uh, attain their respective desires in life whether it be Brahman realization or or, 
elevation to the heavenly planets. It's a good place to start. Look at the Karmi. The Karmi has, he can study the Vedas, he can see, and he gets, a, he gets his result quickly. He can worship a demigod and he gets the result. It's like, wow, the book worked. It must be a good book. Let me try it again. Let me try this one. Well, if you can do that, you'll get a good son. Okay, let me do that. Wow, I got a good son. Wow, the Shastra's pretty cool stuff. So that some faith is building. Some faith is building in, the, in what's presented in the Shastra. And that faith can lead, be a doorway into, the, into Bhakti. When the sadhu comes along, they're receptive. Ah, you put some significance in the Shastra. Yes, but we put significance in the Bhakti Shastra. Well, what's different about that? And then they have a doorway there because they already have some preliminary faith that they can draw on. So, we don't vilify uh, those kind of activities. I must admit, I, when I read this and I was read uh, read through it a couple of times, I, I immediately came to mind a, a recent uh, posting that we'd seen of someone in our tradition suggesting these kind of activities uh, in the worship of, of cows. And I was thinking, my gosh, I'm so offended because this devotee, Vaishnav, is recommending, recommending to Indian society uh, this worship of, of Sarabi in order that they elevate themselves materially. That's, in our, that's not in our line. So what good can come of it? In light of this, you would say, well, well, it's okay. They're simply presenting a Vedic formula to uplift humanity because they have determined that there are those people that can't take advantage of Lord Chaitanya's Sankirtan movement. Then I said, well, wait, maybe my criticism is valid because Lord Chaitanya, there's no hard and fast rules. If Jagai and Madai can become Krishna's devotees, that's kind of all-inclusive in my opinion. So, I, I'm still feeling that, uh, you know, we, we're we not inclined as Gaudiya Vaishnavs coming in the line of Sri Chaitanya to make some recommendation. We're certainly not going to behoo the fact that there's, there's scriptures that recommend this for karmis and for jnanis, but... This is a very, very special time. This is a get-out-of-jail-free card time. Let's pass that card out to everyone without discrimination because that's not what Lord Nityananda... Lord Nityananda was so excited about seeing these most fallen people. Now this will glorify Lord Chaitanya. We make those two devotees... Everybody will know how glorious his Sankirtan movement is. No one will be able to deny 
the significance of Lord Chaitanya's movement if we can make those two devotees. That was Lord Nityananda's whole purpose. Well, the other villagers are saying, no, you don't want to get anywhere near those guys. They'll kill you. There's not a sin they have not committed. They eat beef. They rape women. They kill Brahmins. They're the worst of the worst. They don't, they're not entitled to Lord Chaitanya's movement. No, that's, that wasn't there. And Nichinanda. Oh, I'm sorry I've gone over. Are there any questions? Thank you for your association. Vishwanath Chakravarti Ki, Madhurya Kadambadi.